you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John? John chapter 6 is where we're going. And I'm going to read it from the, the message translation of the scripture today, the message version. John chapter 6, beginning with that fifth verse. Listen to what God's Word says. When Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each, of, each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter said, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. I want to preach, it's going to take a miracle. Jesus sees 5,000 men plus women and children hungry headed their way. And he turns to Philip and says, where can we go to buy bread for these people so they can eat. And Philip said, if we had a half a year's worth of salary, we wouldn't be able to buy enough bread for each of them to get a little bit. And then Simon Peter said, but there is a little boy that's here, but he's got two pieces of fish, five little cheap rolls, but what is that among so many? And then Jesus said, sit these people down. We're getting ready to feed them. It's going to take a miracle. When, when the possibility of something happening in the natural is not there, the, other, the only other alternative is the supernatural. It takes a miracle. And God is in the miracle working business. And I... I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to address this because that's where some of y'all are. When you look at the situation you're in, you look at what you're facing with your health, with your family, with your finance, with your educational pursuits, with your job, your career, your business, your relationships, your marriage, your family, your children, and you look at how messed up it is. And it just seemed like you don't have what it takes to be able to fix this. But you need it fixed. Look at somebody and tell them, it's going to take a miracle. And I'm so glad that Jesus is in the miracle working business. Uh, this, this passage of scripture that I read to you is really four different areas or four different groups that we can look at here. You see a a crowd, the King James Version says it's a multitude. So we see the crowd that is there. We see disciples who are there, the 12, the hand-picked disciples. Two of them are mentioned, Philip, Simon, Peter. Then you see a little boy who's with the crowd. And then, of course, we see Jesus. And, and each of these help us to learn a little bit more about how God works miracles in our life. The crowd that we see here, the crowd represents a community in need. Jesus saw this crowd coming towards them 
And Jesus, even before the crowd got there, knew that this crowd is hungry, knew that this crowd has a need that needs to be satisfied, they, that there's an emptiness about them. And the crowd represents community need. And we know something about that. Every day we have to look at a community in need, um, the spiritual needs of a community, the, the educational needs, the physical needs, the job needs, the employment needs, the relational needs, that every day we wake up, we run into folk that are in great need. And we know they're in need because they're hungry. Jesus saw a crowd coming, and as he saw them at a distance, he didn't wait till they got there. He said, these folk are hungry. Y'all, hunger is a recognized need underneath the skin that nobody knows about but you. You can be hungry and don't nobody know it, but you know it. And you can dress up and you can carry the latest technology and you can have a big smile on your face. But if you'll be honest, there's an unmet need in your life. There's a thirst that you have that has not been quenched. There's a desire underneath your skin that has not been satisfied. That there is something that has left you emptied, something that has left you wanting. There is a lack in your life. And if you and I as Christians are not careful, we'll stand around waiting on the government to do something about these needs in the community. If we're not careful as church, as believers, we stand around and we'll wait on a social justice group or civic organization, or we'll wait on a sorority or a, soror a sorority or fraternity to do something. And this is not to say that the groups I just mentioned don't have responsibility to meet needs. I'm not saying that, especially when it comes to the government, that we ought to register to vote, we ought to vote, we ought to empower those who are in office, and we ought to hold them accountable for doing what they say they're going to do for our community. So I'm not trying to belittle that, but it doesn't take the responsibility away from us in meeting the need. So the crowd represents a community in need, but then the disciples in the text, they represent the church's responsibility to feed so here's a crowd in need. They're hungry. Jesus didn't turn to Pilate and Herod and Caesar and say, now what y'all going to do about this? What he turned to was not the government. He turned to disciples. He turned to the ones who were following him. And he says, this, this hunger need is now your responsibility to feed them. And, he, and really, the text says, he looked to, to Philip. And the reason he looked to Philip, because Philip was from around there. This is near the Sea of Galilee, and Philip grew up um, in that area. So Jesus says, listen, there are 5,000 men plus women and children. Where can we go get something to eat for them? And, and Philip said, well, Jesus, I am from around here, and this is a, a food desert we're in. Literally, a food desert. There, there are no supermarkets here. There are no grocery stores here. There are no places to go as an option for healthy foods. There's, there's nowhere to go. And, and then he said, and Jesus, even if there were grocery stores in this community, we don't have enough resources to buy anything. That, 
we, we checked the budget, and in the budget, it would take more than a half year's worth of salary to feed this kind of crowd, which we don't have in our budget. And, and he comes up now after Jesus has given them the responsibility to feed this need. He's now coming up with excuses why we can't do it. And somebody, you know the frustration of having responsibility and not having the resources to back it up. Jesus tells us to feed the hungry. He tells us, if you, to, I, was, I was hungry, you fed me. I was outdoors, you found me housing. He's given us responsibility. And then we, we start looking at the situation and come, come to find out we don't have the resources necessary to make this happen. And it's not just as a church in community. Sometimes it's just in our own family. That you're in a marriage, you know the, your responsibility is to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And after evaluating the need of your wife, you don't have the capacity to do that. And you think you're the, you're the exception because Jesus, if my wife wasn't like this, I'd be able to do that. Or to honor, respect your husband, to reverence your husband, to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And you're saying, but Jesus, he doesn't love you the way he should and he doesn't act the way he should. I don't have the, I don't have the capacity to live up to the responsibility or to raise children, to try to bring them up in the admonition in the way of the Lord. And even as a single parent, you got the responsibility, but don't seem to have the resources to do what Jesus told you to do. That's, that's what, what, what they were facing. And, and then Jesus, when he was talking to Philip, and Philip was running the numbers for Jesus, how many people are here, how much is in the budget, we'll have this. Then here comes Andrew, and Andrew says, well, we, we got somebody. They got two pieces of fish, five biscuits, but that's a drop in the bucket when you look at the responsibility. Now, here's what I want you to get. Here are the disciples that represent the, the church's responsibility to address need in community. Jesus is clear about what I want you to do. And then the disciples start making excuses why we can't do what Jesus told us to do. And, and one of those is a, a numbers man. You know, people get mad at Philip because he starts throwing the numbers out there. Well, we got 5,000 people. We got the children and we got the, the women that are with them that they didn't even count. The numbers didn't count the women and the children they just counted men in that day and then he started looking in the budget well in the budget we don't have a half year's worth of salary even if, and y'all you don't have to get mad at people in ministry that are numbers people you need numbers people you need somebody and, and I know our staff says I'm data driven I need data how am I going to know how much bread to get? How am I going to know how many people we're dealing with? How am I going to know what the needs are unless I got some numbers people? And while y'all mad at numbers people, remember there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. But what I don't appreciate with Philip is to use numbers as an excuse why we can't do what Jesus said do. Because Philip, even if we can't afford it, Jesus can the Bible says the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. And my grandmama said, and the hills are his too. So even when God gives us responsibility to do something and we think we don't have the numbers to make it happen, we can't use that as an excuse because if Jesus tells us to do it, he's going to give us everything that is necessary to get it done. 
So here's, here's the excuse that Philip used that so many of us use. Jesus, you told us to do this, but we can't do it because we don't have anything. That was it. Feed these hungry people. We can't do it because we don't have anything. And then here comes Andrew, and I like Andrew, so let me, I want to I slow this down a little bit because I love Andrew. In, the, when, in scriptures, whenever you see Andrew, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. When he first met Jesus Christ and started following him as a disciple, Andrew went and got his brother Simon Peter. And then he brought and then that's when Peter got his life together because Andrew brought him. There's a holiday that was going on, and when that holiday was going on, uh, some 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 white men from Greece came over to celebrate the holidays. But since they were in Jerusalem, they knew Jesus was around, they wanted to meet Jesus. And so somebody got them connected with Andrew. And they said, sir, we would see Jesus. And Andrew said, okay, come on, I can get y'all to Jesus. And then he brought those Greeks to Jesus. And now here's a crowd that is hungry with limited resources. And the next thing you know, Andrew's bringing a little boy. To, I love Andrew because he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. And what's so significant about that is when you bring people to Jesus, you don't know what Jesus is going to do with them. See, a lot of folk don't know Andrew but even though you may not know Andrew, you know the one Andrew brought. You know Simon Peter. Peter is the one that preached in the book of Acts. One sermon and 3,000 folk. Guys. Peter is the one in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Peter is the one on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus and Elijah and Moses. That's Peter. Peter is one of the, the, early, the lead pastors of the early church. One of the big three. He's one of the lead pastors. That's Simon Peter. But Peter never would have did all of that had Andrew not brought him to Jesus. Matter of fact, in the text, when, when the Apostle John was writing about this, and he said, Andrew brought a little boy. Then he said, now that's Andrew, that's Simon Peter's brother. Because the, the world, the faith community knew Simon Peter, but they didn't know Andrew. But y'all, there would be no Peter if it were not for Andrew. We need some men and women who love Jesus enough not to just get it for yourself, but to get in a habit of bringing people to Jesus because you don't know what Jesus is going to do with them after you bring them. And then here's, here's Philip's excuse. We can't do what you said, Jesus, because we don't have anything. Then Andrew said, oh, no, no, we got something. We got two little sardine-sized fish, five barley pieces of bread. Barley was the cheapest bread you could get. It's not flour and wheat. It's the cheapest. It's barley. He said, we got something, but we still can't do it because it's a drop in the bucket based on the responsibility we have. It's not that we don't have anything. We do have something, but it's so little and insignificant. What is this? Among so you got one disciple making an excuse that we can't do it because of what we don't have. Then you got another disciple making an excuse, we can't do it because of what we do have. That our stuff is so little that we, y'all, I, I promise you, I'm preaching to somebody right now, that you know you're supposed to serve in ministry. You know you're supposed to be involved. You know you're supposed to tithe. You know you're supposed to be a part of what God is doing. But the reason you don't do it is not because you don't have anything, but because you think what you have is too little because I can't preach like this person or I can't teach like and I can't sing like them and I don't have the money they have and because I don't have that now I can't do anything it's always interesting to me 
we so good with spending other folks' money, right? If I had Oprah Winfrey's money, then I would do this. If I had, if I had Beyonce's money, then I would do this. We always good with somebody else's money, but here's what I learned. If you ain't doing nothing with the two pieces of fish you got, you won't be doing anything with a billion dollars that Michael Jordan has either. What we do with a little is the same thing we do with a lot. We just do more of it. And this, this issue about my stuff is so little that that's why I, I can't do it. And that's the mentality some of us have, that, that we think our gift and our resources are so little that, that if I give it, they won't appreciate it. If I don't give it, they won't miss it. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. Y'all, I went through a season of that that I thought my gift was so little, my, my preaching and teaching gift. I thought it was so little because I went to school with people like Freddie Haynes, right? And Freddie Haynes had a double major at Bishop College. He, had a, a, he majored in religion and philosophy and in English. And he already got one doctorate right now. He had to go over to Oxford uh, in Europe to help get that doctorate he has. Now he's working on a PhD in black preaching. And he's been a professor at Paul Quinn College and pastors the Friendship West Church and is the premier voice for social justice. That's the kind of person I was in school with. And then Ralph West was in school the same time I was at Bishop College. And he pastors the Church Without Walls. He has a conference that's international. The IC3 conference, the Issachar conference. He's the founder and leader of that conference. And he's a professor at Baylor University. They working on a PhD program, a new PhD program they're putting together so people can go to Baylor and get their doctors. So Ralph West went to talk to him. He already has one doctorate, so he wanted to go get his PhD. And they said, no, 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 we don't want you as a student. We want you to be one of the professors. I'm trying to show y'all the crowd God has me with. John Jenkins, one of my best friends in the world, pastors the largest black church in the United States of America, a great administrator. And, and y'all, this is the kind of stuff. And then I look at my little gift. And I thought my little gift was so little that even if I did preach and teach, folk wouldn't appreciate it. And if I didn't preach and teach, wouldn't nobody miss it. But I thank God I stopped making excuses and decided to become an example. Preacher, what do you mean? I can make an excuse that I'm not going to serve because my stuff is too little. But I decided I'm going to take my little gift, put it in the hands of a big God, and stand back and watch God work. And, and here's what the Holy Spirit told me while I'm talking about why I can't do it is too, and I can't preach like Freddie Haynes, and I can't preach like Ralph West, and I can't pastor like John Jenkins. And, and the Holy Spirit said, Jeffrey Johnson, no, you can't preach like them. But they can't preach like you either if you go on and preach. And my word to somebody is, no, you can't do it like somebody else, but they can't do it like you if you get off of your behind and start doing what God told you to do. Stop making excuses and become an example of what can happen when you take your little gift and put it in the hands of a big God. So here's what we got. We got, we got a crowd. They represent community need. We have the disciples that, work, that represents the church's responsibility to feed. Then in the text, we got a little boy, and he represents opportunity to, with, to, to satisfy with deeds. So we got needs, responsibility to feed. Now we have a little boy that, that shows us 
how to take an opportunity to satisfy with deeds. What do you mean? Jesus said, where can we go get something to eat? And Philip said, Jesus, this is a, this is a food desert. And not only is it a food desert, it's, a, it's an employment desert. It's a job desert. It's not just a food desert. It's an educational desert. It's an economic desert. Jesus, we're in the desert. And, and the text said, and Jesus only asked that to test Philip's faith because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Y'all, when, when, when God's asking you to do something, don't think if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. God's just testing you to see do you have enough faith in him to do what he told you to do. Because, Philip, while you're going to get all the numbers, you know how many bodies there are. It's 5,000 men plus women and children. You know how much is in the budget. We don't have a year. You've got all these numbers. You've got all the facts. And you need people with facts. But, Philip, even though you've got the facts, remember you're talking to the truth. Jesus is the way. I wish I had somebody helping me preach this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And here is Philip with the facts talking to the truth. Y'all, when you get all your facts, remember the truth can handle whatever you're dealing with. Y'all ain't saying amen. Fact is, you sick in your body. Fact is, the doctors gave you a bad diagnosis. The fact is, you got a disorder, you got a disease. That's the fact. But the truth is, God is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that heals. Take your facts and give it over to the truth. Fact is, you can't pay your bills. Fact is, you can't get ends to meet. Fact is, you don't have money for rent. Fact is, you can't pay your mortgage. That's the fact. But the truth is, my God shall supply all your needs. Do I have a witness in here? You got to take your facts and put it in the hands of the truth. So Philip said, this is, it's, it's, it's messed up, Jesus. This is a food desert. Here comes, here comes Andrew with a little boy. And he didn't just bring the bread and the fish. He brought the boy. The boy has some, he, this is some actions, the deeds. This is, this is what he's going to, this is what he's bringing. Because evidently the little boy understood that this this is not just a problem, this is an opportunity. And he never would have had this opportunity had there never been a problem. Had it never been a need in the community like this, we wouldn't be talking about this little boy. But the reason we're talking about the little boy is because when he saw a problem, he said, oh yeah, this is my opportunity now to hook up with Jesus to get something done with this. And he didn't just... Andrew didn't just bring the fish and the bread. He brought the boy. He didn't just bring the possessions. He brought the person. And he didn't bring the person without the possessions. That's the two things that we have going on in ministry, right? We got, we got a community need. We're trying to face it. We're trying to deal with that. People are hungry. People are empty. It's a food desert. It's a job desert, employment desert, economic desert. And Jesus has given us responsibility to take care of that. And now we're saying there's opportunity. So some show up with their person. I'm giving you my personality. I'm volunteering my time and my energy. I'm going to be present there. But even though they show up with their person, they don't show up with fish and bread. They leave their possessions. And their argument is this. Well, if I'm showing up with my personality, somebody else should at least provide the fish and the bread. 
Somebody else ought to get the possession. Then you got the other side of that. You got people offering fish and bread. They offering resources. They're writing checks. They're giving to the ministry, but they don't show up for nothing. Because their argument is, if I'm giving you the possessions, some of these other folk ought to show up and do some of this work. But what I like about this little boy, he does both. He says, I'm going to give you my person, and I'm going to give you my possessions. No wonder Jesus was able to use him in the miracle that he performed. Y'all, if you're talking about it, it's going to take a miracle, the reason why the miracle took place is because there's a little boy that decided, I'm giving Jesus the material for the miracle. Some of us want a miracle, but you ain't giving God nothing to work with. But I dare you to take your little bit, put it in the hands of God, and watch this miracle worker take what you give him and use it as material for a miracle. And I love it. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Andrew found the little boy and saw him getting ready to eat his lunch. Say, wait, 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 wait. Jesus may need this. Or if the little boy saw the situation, overheard Philip and Jesus talking about feeding all these folk, and said, "The least I could do in the face of all of this is to give him my two little pieces of fish, my five little biscuits." I can at least, in, in face of all that Jesus is trying to do, the least I can do is to get. So I'm not sure if Andrew found the boy or if the boy found Andrew. But here's what I love about this. To this day, we don't know the boy's name because the boy didn't do it to make a name for himself. He did it because it needed to be, ooh, I wish we had some folk that stop waiting on folk to pat you on the back, stop waiting on your name to be called, stop waiting on your picture to go on the screen and just do it because Jesus said do it. Do it because the community needs it. We don't, this is a, he's unnamed. And I love this, he's got the material for a miracle making it available to Jesus. I love it because uh, he's doing it for folk that counted him out. When they gave the numbers for how many were there, Philip only counted the men. He didn't even count the women, and he didn't count the children. But when Jesus got ready to use the miracle, he didn't choose somebody with a name, and he didn't choose folk that the community had been counting on. He said, I'm going to choose somebody that they counted out. I'm going to choose somebody that they don't believe is significant. I'm choosing somebody they don't believe, and I know I got some witnesses in here that God is able to take unnamed folk. God is able to take folk that folk counted out because of the color of your skin or your gender or the neighborhood that you're from or your age, and Jesus still used you to perform a miracle. And since y'all ain't saying amen, I'll just testify myself. That even when they count you out, God can still count you in. And this is, this, and, and he brought that, he brought his lunch, put it in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus, the text says, Jesus then had the people sit down and then he thanked God. Wait a minute, you got 20,000 folk you got to feed, yeah. You got a two-piece Yes. And you thanking God in the face of a great need 
with limited resources. Maybe that's why his stuff multiplied. Some of us are trying to get God to multiply what we have and you ain't fainting for what you already got. Every, every year, every year we have a team to sit down to see who, which, which group we're going to, we have collaboration. Some collaboration we have, we get grant money and, and resources and stuff. And other collaborations we have, people doing things in the community that are great. And so we want to come alongside them. So every year we have to sit down and narrow this down to where we can make a difference. And, and every year, Use What You Got Ministries, it's a prison ministry where a woman's son got locked up. And when she would go to visit him in prison, she saw that these other prisoners didn't have anybody coming to visit. And they explained to her, well, they don't have anybody to come visit them because they ain't got transportation to get here. So she started Use What You Got Ministry. And she had them in her car. Then she went and got a van. And then she got another van and another van and another van. Then she went and got doctors, and she went and got research. She went and got pastors. She, she built this Use What She Got ministry, right? And every year, we, we sit down and decide, now, who are we going to get? It has never failed in all the years we've been supporting this ministry that she doesn't go out of her way to thank Eastern Star Church. It's never failed. And she thanks us privately. She sends me a card to thank me. Then she thanks our staff. Then she thanks the community. Then she, she tells it to the television station. Then she tells it to the radio station. Then she tells it to the black newspaper. She tells everybody, this is what Easter Star did. So every time we're thinking about who we're going to give to this year, she make the cut every year because she got enough sense to thank us for what we already done before you come back and ask for, boy, y'all not getting it. Before you ask God to give you more of something, why don't you thank him for what he's already given to you? Jesus took that bread, he blessed it, he broke it, then he gave it, and he began to multiply that thing because the little boy took his lunch, gave it to Jesus, and Jesus used it for material, for a miracle. They ended up taking up 12 baskets of leftovers. And every time I think about this, I think about that little boy running home to tell his mama what happened. Can you imagine? He brings his lunch, gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it, shares it. And then 12 baskets of leftovers, 12 baskets of fish, 12 baskets of, of bread. He only had a two-piece when he got there. Because God ain't going to let you beat him giving. Boy, I wish I had time to work this. And so all this, he goes home. And he says, Mama, Mama, you should have been there today. Man, when Jesus and I performed a miracle. Mama, I wish you had been there to see me and Jesus work this miracle out. And his mom said, calm down and tell me what happened. Mommy and Jesus performed a miracle. I am telling you what happened. No, calm down. What happened? Well, it was 5,000 men plus women and children. And then, then Jesus took two pieces of fish and five pieces of bread and began to break it and stretch it. And he began, and they, everybody ate until they got satisfied. And then Jesus had them take up 12 baskets of leftover. Mama, this was a real miracle. And the mama said, okay, well, you told me what Jesus did, but you said you and Jesus performed the miracle. If Jesus did all that, what did you do? Mama, I gave him the bread and the fish. And I wish I had somebody in here that realized when you take your little, put it in the hand of a big God, he can multiply. 
Come on now, the old black preacher says he multiplies by dividing. We serve a God that's in the miracle working business. Because he took it, but the miracle didn't happen until it got out of the boy's hand and got in Jesus' hand. The reason why we can't experience miracles because we can't get our stuff out of our hand. We got all these excuses why I can't give, why I won't serve. Get it out of your hand, put it in the hands of Jesus. Because in your hand, it's lunch for one. But in Jesus' hand, it's a banquet for 20,000. Do I have it? In your hand, it's not enough. In Jesus' hand, it's more than enough. You don't know what he's going to do when you put it in the master's hand. I got to rush this. I got to rush it. It's in his hand. He put it in Jesus' hand. He started multiplying it because you don't know what's going to happen when you put it in the hand of Jesus. God told Moses, go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, God, you don't want me. I don't talk right. I'm a renegade. I'm a, I got a felony in my background. I had to run out of that place. I, I have this anger management problem I'm still trying to address. God, you don't want me. God said, yes, I do. God, you don't want me. Most said, God, you don't want me because I don't have anything. I lost that good government job in Egypt. Now I'm over here working for my father, watching his father-in-law, watching his sheep. I don't have anything. And so God said, wait, you don't have anything? No. Then God said, what's that in your hand? He said, it's, it's a staff. I thought you said you didn't have anything. Y'all stop looking at what you have as nothing. Because even if it's a staff, even if it's a stick, when he released it to God, it became a snake. Y'all missing it. It was one thing in Moses' hand. It's something else in God's hand. In Moses' hand, it's a stick. In God's hand, it's a snake. In Moses' hand, it's dead. In God's hand, it's alive. In Moses' hand, do I have a witness in here? You don't know what God's going to do when you put it in his hand. I got to rush this. First time I heard this story, John Jenkins, my, my good friend, Pastor John Jenkins, told it about this little boy that went to this, uh, he lived in this little bitty community, and he went to the community store with his friends. So he goes in the store, there's a big barrel, big barrel in the middle of the store with a sign on it that says, handful of raisins for a dime. So little boy's friends waited outside. He goes in, puts the dime on the counter, tells the owner of the store, uh, I want to get a handful of raisins. He said, all right. And the owner of the store handed him a bag. Go on over to the barrel. You gave me your dime. Go on over there. Get you a handful of raisins. Little boy took the bag, goes and stands in front of the barrel and just stands there looking at the raisins with the bag in his hand. So the owner says, go on. Get, you already paid me. Get you a handful of raisins. Little boy just stood there looking at the raisins, looking at his bag. His friends outside watching this through the window. The little boy just stood there. And so finally, the owner came from behind the counter and walked over to the barrel and said, here, let me help you. And the owner took his hand, stuck it in the barrel, put it in the bag, gave it to the boy. The little boy walked outside and his friend said, why are you standing there? You know how to get your own raisins out of that barrel. And the little boy said, I did it like that because I realized the owner's hands are bigger than my hand. And I wish I had somebody that regardless of the hand you've been dealt, when you put it in the hand of God, his hands are bigger than our hand. Can I get a witness in here? I got to close. Uh, I mentioned Jesus. Let me get to the last one. Um, Jesus represents deity to help shape your creed. So you got a crowd with community need. You got a disciples. They represent the church with the responsibility to feed.
You got a little boy, he looks at it as an opportunity to satisfy with his deeds. Then Jesus in the text represents deity, God. And with this, he's helping us to shape our creed, our faith system, our belief system. Through this experience, he's showing us what faith really is. Let me see if I can explain it. John chapter 6, verse 14. The people, after, after they took up these baskets of lepers, the people realized that God was at work among them in what Jesus had done. They said, this is the prophet for sure, God's prophet right here in Galilee. Now, before all of this, remember, they're in oppression, suppression, depression by the Roman government. But when Jesus performs this miracle, they said, God's got to have a hand in them. This couldn't happen without God. Then they started talking about who Jesus was. So the miracle, Jesus was using that to get their, uh, to capture their attention so that they can learn who Jesus really is. So by the time you get to verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They thought he was a, that God is using a prophet. Jesus says, I'm more than a prophet. I'm the bread. And I'm you, I use this multiplying bread, taking up leftovers, to capture your attention, to show you I'm the bread of life. See, y'all don't get it, but they did. Because the moment Jesus said, I am, they knew he was claiming to be God. Because when he said, I am, they had a flashback to when Moses said, uh, God, if I go in your name, I need to tell them the name of the God that sent me. And God said, tell them I am, that I am has sent, that whatever they need me to be, I am that I am. So when Jesus said, I am, they realized he's claiming to be God. Oh boy, y'all got to read the Gospel of John. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He's reminding them of who he is, and he's God all by himself. Jesus started not robbery to be equal with God because you can't steal what already belongs to you. So he says, I allowed all this to happen with this boy and my disciples to help shape your faith about deity I'm the bread of life when y'all read that he says in the wilderness when they got hungry going to the promised land from Egypt and and God sent some manna from on high bread from heaven Jesus said that was me so they looked at Jesus what he said I'm I am the bread of life I'm the sustainer for your soul I'm the one you need if you ever going to experience real life and he said, not only am I the bread of life, but you got to eat of my body. You got to drink of my blood or you're not going to make it. The Bible said that 20,000 people in John 6 walked away from Jesus. They went from trying to make him a king to walking away from him. Because they said, the saying is too hard for us to take. See, they wanted Jesus, but they wanted Jesus the way they wanted Jesus. Y'all missing this. They tried to make him. You can't make Jesus a king. He's born king of the... He, he came here as king. 
But they didn't like the kind of king he was, so they wanted to reshape him to the king they wanted him to be. And Jesus said, you can't make me what you want me to be. You got to accept me for who I am. I'm the bread of life. You got to eat of my body, drink of my blood. They said, this is too hard for us to take. 20,000 people walked away. 20,000. And, and then Jesus had to make a determination. And am I going to continue to be who I am? As Messiah? As Christ? As the bread of life? Or am I going to be something else to hold on to the crowd? Am, am I going to allow this crowd to change me from who I am? To please them for who they want me to be. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, y'all leaving too? They said, no, we know. You're the only one with the words to eternal life. So Jesus decided right then, I'd rather have 12 true followers that internalize who I am than to have 20,000 fans that just follow me to multiply bread. Jesus said, if I keep multiplying bread, y'all still not going to believe I'm the Christ. They walked, and you know when they got home, and they stopped following Jesus, they stopped following Christ, they stopped following the crowd Jesus was with. Their friends started saying, wait a minute, you used to go to church down there with Jesus and decided, how come you don't go no more? And we know why they didn't go, because the saying is too hard. He want too much from us. He want us to internalize him. But they told their family, no, we don't go down there because they too political. Jesus keeps talking about Pilate and Herod and Caesar. They too political. That's why we don't go with that Jesus crowd no more. And we heard Peter cuss a woman out. That's why we don't go because those disciples, they ain't right. And they shouldn't be cussing like that. And that's why we don't go. We don't go because James and John, I heard them talking about burning the hell out of a village because they didn't treat Jesus right. And you know, it's, disciples shouldn't be doing it. And that's why I don't go. That ain't why they didn't go. They didn't go because they didn't believe. Because if you believe, can't nobody stop you from coming. And I know I got some witnesses. Y'all, Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. If you believe that, nobody can keep you from connecting with the house of God. God said, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, I'll open the windows of heaven pour you out a blessing, you don't have room enough to receive it. If you believe that, nobody could stop you from giving. The reason why we don't do it, because you don't believe. You going away too? No, you got the words to eternal life, but Jesus said, you're going to follow me. You got to eat of my body, drink of my blood. We've been dealing with the bread. I'm going to close on the blood. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, it ain't going to just be me multiplying bread every time you want it. And it's not going to be me changing who I am to please you for you to hang around in here. You got to eat of my body. You got to drink of my blood. You got to internalize who I am. And y'all ain't saying amen to the blood. Because you don't get it. That's the only way we can be saved. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. I'll close it like this. This was um, in New York, 2008. Two brothers were went. Were, were, were window washers and they're cleaning the windows at a skyscraper in New York and as they're cleaning these windows something happened to the scaffold and, and it fell and collapsed and crumbled 47 stories high 
And I've tried to get the wreckage on this image so y'all can see what it looks like when they hit the ground. And when it hit the ground, his brother died instantly. But this man fell from 47 stories and survived. He lived. Don't y'all know people that fall from three stories, only 50% live? Those that fall from 10 stories, 100% die? This man fell from 47 stories, and the man survived. He was in a walkathon. His wife said, he's a walking miracle. He said, he ain't just a miracle. He's a walking miracle. And when he collapsed like that from 47 stories up, legs broken, arms broken, internal organs affected, and the emergency team got him to the hospital. And when they got into the hospital, they took him out of the ambulance, and he's in the emergency area. A doctor comes out, sees how broken he is from the fall. And the doctor said, we can't move him. Just We're going to do what we need to do right here. Because I'm afraid if we try to move him to a room to do the surgery, he's not going to survive the move. And they worked on him right there in the lobby of the emergency room. And the first thing they did to work on a broken man who had fallen from 47 stories up, they gave him 21 units of blood and 19 units of blood plasma before they did anything to get him walking again. The first thing they gave him was the blood. And the reason why he survived the fall like that is because of the blood. And all I'm trying to tell you, I'm not up here preaching because I never failed. I'm up here preaching because despite my fall, despite my brokenness, the blood of Jesus made a way for me. Can I get a witness here? Look at somebody and tell them the blood still works. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood will never, ever lose its power. Can I get a witness? I'm so grateful the blood done signed my name. I fell, I messed up, I was broken, but the blood signed my name. Can I get a witness? What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Y'all excuse me, but it's getting good to me. Oh, how precious is that flow. It makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus said you got to eat of my body, drink of my blood. You're not going to make it without the blood.